James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So, now I can't walk away. So if I walk away, you'll be like, hey, I can't hear anything. <laughs> How's it going over there? See, can't do it. So let's talk about who this James is. A little bit of sound. Okay, I'm just getting text here. Uh, let's not text the pastor during, um, no. Can you roll off a mid-range, please? And He's just going to fix some things. If not, I'll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Consider one of the uh, considered as one of the general epistles. James, like the epistles of Peter, John, and Jude, was given not to a specific church, but to individuals and believers as a whole. So it's not like the Book of Corinthians or Romans. Everybody got that. It, this was more of a. Most people think that it was a sermon that was given by James and so then written down so that it would go throughout all of the churches. Listen, uh, Paul emphasized faith so much in his Gospels. Peter, hope, John, love, and Jude, purity. And what James does here is he stresses conduct. There's a reason why people don't like James. Not you, James. You're a great mechanic. Um, On Sunday morning, someone said to me, oh, we're in the book of James? Uh, I'm not coming. And I thought, wow, he really knows what James is about. (laughs) I remember I was teaching in Corinthians one time, and I was right in the middle, and someone said, when are we going to be done with Corinthians? Because every week I get spanked. That's what God's word does sometimes. And what I like about James is that James is going to challenge you in only a way that James can. And James is going to say this to you. He's going to say, you've been saved for a while. Prove it. Oh, man. I'm having all kinds of problems tonight. I'm going to get a chair and just sit down. You know, John challenged the believers with love, did he not? He said, listen, if you love God, then you will love the brethren, right? Well, James says the same thing. He says, if you love God, then you will prove it not only in your life, but also in your works. Now, Martin Luther did not like this book because he thought it challenged the idea of works, but... I'll have to talk to him about that in heaven. It does not. You see, faith alone, he taught, saves us alone in Christ. But what James does is, okay, now that you're saved, you have to show fruit from your life. You can't just say, I'm a Christian, and not have anything to back it up. Amen? Amen. That is what James is doing. He is coming from that context. Now, This is James, the brother of Jesus. He is the half-brother of Jesus. Same dad, I'm sorry, same mom. Boy, that would be a a bad heresy, would it? Calvary Chapel starts a new heresy. My whole night's gone now. 
it was the Dairy Queen. It started the whole thing. It's Reese's fault. <laughs> Listen, by the way, this also is probably one of the first letters written and distributed through the church. Because later, as we'll see, James will die around 62 AD, just about 30 years after his brother. Matthew 13 tells us that Jesus had brothers and sisters, and so the Holy Spirit wants us to know uh, that what, what I love about James is that he doesn't say, I'm the brother of Jesus. If I was James and were glad I'm not, I would have a t-shirt, <laughs> and I would have a million of them made, and it would always be pressed and neat. Jesus, brother, with an arrow. He doesn't flaunt that, does he? Neither does Jude, and I, I'm very thankful for the, their humility. The thing about James as well is he didn't believe his brother. He didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah. Can you imagine living with Jesus? Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Why can't you be more like Jesus? His room's clean. His math is done. And then later on, right, he's an adult. He's like, man, now I get it. He was God. And God can do math. And he can clean his room. But I also want you to think about James as that brother who then later on remembered how wonderful it was to live with Jesus. I think we miss that. We miss Mary and Joseph and the other brothers and sisters and the humanity of Jesus until he leaves at 30. And at some point, Joseph dies. Jesus is the head of the family at that. He is the head. James possibly next. James is seeing Jesus give this example in his life. But at some point, he he comes with the rest of the family and he says, we're about to take you to the loony bin, Jesus. We don't believe that you are the Messiah. Well, after the resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus was shown to not only the 500, but to Peter and then to James. And what was that conversation like? Who is it? It's your brother. It's your brother who? <laughs> All of them are here. And he opens the door to the resurrected Lord. I, I, I mean, I don't want to step out of bounds, but he's weeping at that moment. He's broken. He has fallen to the ground. And his brother picks him up. His Messiah, his Lord that he grew up with, that he remembered what he said. We're going to see a lot of parallels in James to the parables and how powerful this was, must have been to his life and changed him so much that he became such an effective leader for the body of Christ. He was the head in Jerusalem. He was known as Old Nobby Knees because he would go to the temple three times a day to pray. The Jewish leaders at one point, they had had it with James. And so they, they wanted to 
well, remove him. So around 62 AD, the story goes is that the Pharisees in Jerusalem took him to the top of the temple and they threw him off of the temple. But he didn't die. And so they dragged him outside of the temple and they beat him with clubs. But tradition also tells us that he said the same thing that his brother said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Keep in mind that James, again, was the head of the church and he, and he headed up that Acts 15 council where the Holy Spirit was directing this new faith from Judaism into Christianity and heading it in the right direction. God had tasked James to be the head of that and to take care of that. Again, each New Testament letter has its own special theme and purpose and destination. Paul wrote the book of Romans to prepare the Roman Christians for his intended visit as well as the coming persecution. We spoke of 1 Corinthians, a church that needed a lot of help at that time. Galatians written to a group of churches warning about legalism and false teaching. And as you and I journey through the book of James, you will discover that these Jewish Christians were having some major problems. You see, this group of believers, they were going through trials. Did we read that in the very second verse? They were going through, as we will see, temptations. For some believers, they were, uh, they were catering too much to the rich while others were being robbed by the rich. Church members were competing for offices in the church and even teaching positions. One of the major problems in the church was a failure on the part of many to live what they professed to believe. Now, think about this. We think it was written around 48, from, well, anywhere from 45 to 48 A.D. That is only about 15 years after Jesus. The church had problems 15 years after Jesus. And James is going to challenge these believers not only did they have a part about professing uh, to live out the life that they believed, they also had a tongue problem. This tongue problem was serious, even to the point of creating wars and divisions inside of the assembly. Worldliness had also become a problem, and some of the members were disobeying God's word, and some of them were getting sick, deliberately being rebuked by God because of their disobedience. And so James steps into the scene and he wants to write this letter. And verse one, he says, I, James, am a doulos. I'm a bond slave. And just as a reminder of what a bond slave was, that if you were a slave inside of your master's house after the seven year period, you were allowed to go free but if you chose to stay inside of your master's house and you said, hey, staying and working for my master is better than anything that I have outside, they would take you to the city gate, they would take an awl, ram it in your ear, put an earring in there, and forever you would be known as a bond slave. By free choice, you serve the master. James tells us that as well as Paul. 
And this is what a doulos is. A doulos recognizes that inside of the house of God is better than anything in the world. Amen? And so he says, I am a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greetings. These are the Jews that James has been praying for three times a day in the temple. Paul said that he wished that he would be accursed for his brethren, the Jews. And James so loved the Jewish nation, being a part of it and now being a believer in Jesus Christ, he wanted the Jews who were now spread apart all throughout the Roman world to hear again about his brother, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 2, he spends no time... (laughs) Wasting, like, hey, how you doing? Grace be with you. Just hit you. And he says, my brethren, count it all joy. I like that portion, don't you? That's a great way to start. Thanks, James. Count it all joy. Yeah. Uh, What? When you fall into various trials. Then the word fall, I don't like at all. Let alone the trials. He says, count it all joy, Please note with me, and I know if you've been here at Calvary at any length of time, you've already got the word when circled and underlined. It's not if, it is when. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a refining process. God is taking us, his children, and molding us into his son's image. Anybody Christ-like tonight? Let's see a show of hands. Okay. Good to know. Nobody. And because we are not there yet and we are under construction, and I like that term under construction because under construction there's a lot of dust and a lot of mess. And we have to be patient with one another. We are all in different areas and different steps in our life and our walk with God. And we have to be patient with that. You may have already conquered whatever this is in your life, but the person next to you hasn't not, and they are freaking out. (laughs) And it is that opportunity where God has allowed you to go through that various trial so that you would be a blessing and a comfort to one another. You see, this journey that we are on, are not, we are all individuals, yes, but we are one body of believers. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one glories, we all glory. And so he says, when you fall into various trials or, and, and, and uh, the things that just happen in our life, he says, knowing that the testing or the trials of your faith produces hupomone, our favorite word, favorite Greek word, endurance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We often ask, Lord, why are we going through what we are going through? If you are a loving father, why am I going through that? How many of you even said that this week? Lord, I'm your kid. Why am I going through what I am going through? Well, he tells us, because the testing of our faith 
produces endurance. And the more that we go through the things that God allows to come into our life, the better it is the next time we go through. No show of hands. How many of you have gone through something and then something else popped up, I don't know, weeks, months, years later, and you went, okay, it stinks, but because I got through the last one through the power of the Holy Spirit and because of God's patience with me and love towards me, it wasn't as bad. Who didn't pray for the pastor tonight? (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Yeah, count it all joy when your water falls off. That's a new song I wrote. So knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, it is like the runner. Paul the Apostle loved to use uh, athletics, and it would seem that even James uses those analogies as well. The athlete works and trains so that he can continue to run and to run and to run. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I went out on that track versus my son Micah right now who runs miles every day and comes home and he's toned and lean like I used to be. (laughs) If I went on that track with him, I would get to about turn two. And then I would need the paddles. But he, because he does it every single day, he builds up that endurance. He's doing, um, he's doing, he's been doing some races and it's amazing to watch him do it. Because he goes further and further and further. And because he trains and he's able to do that, he's able to last longer. So too with us, when we go through the trials that we go through and the testing that God allows, it allows us to strengthen our faith. How many of you ever had this thought? Wow, I got through that. And you're a little excited, a little prideful, a little, it's a little okay. But you're like, I got through that. That was wonderful. I didn't completely melt down. This is what God's working on. So that when somebody is next to you, they can see you not completely crumble at work or at school or at home, wherever that might be, that you would be a testimony to somebody else. Have you seen somebody go through something? You go, man, how are they doing that? That's not the first time they've gone through that. Do you see that? It's been a process. It's been a time. Watch them the first time. They'd be freaking out as well. knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He says in verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work or its complete work that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. So by allowing this endurance to happen in our life, we need to grow in maturity. This is what this verse is speaking of. It's speaking of believers not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or the trickery of men. It is knowing that I I have run this race, I have walked with Christ long enough that I can spot not only the heresies, but the paths where not to go down. 
And so I start to be more mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And it doesn't mean that we don't lack in nothing. It means that when you're going through the trial, put it in context, that you are not lacking anything because you are holding fast to what God is doing through the trial at that very time. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So again, we're in context, and he says, if you lack wisdom. So if I'm going through the trial, right, knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is information, but wisdom knows how to apply that information or that knowledge. So by going through the situation and I'm lacking wisdom at the moment through the trial and the tribulation, what do we do? It tells us. It says if anyone, who's an anyone? That's an anyone. Lacks wisdom. Again, specifically in the trial and the tribulation. Does it apply in all, all spheres of life? Absolutely. But, but James is sticking to the, the topic here. He says, let him ask of God. So when you're going through the trials, Lord, would you help me right now? Because I don't understand what's going on. Would you give me the wisdom to understand and the power from your Holy Spirit to make, make the right decisions? You see, that's a mature believer. It isn't a believer that freaks out. Guys, James is going to tell us, you've been saved for a while, prove it. And by proving it is this, you don't freak out when the things of life come. You don't freak out all of the th- times when, when man tries to do things or when work or when you're just whatever life is trying to hit at you, you're able not to get bumped off course. So let patience have its complete work that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Notice, who gives liberally. He doesn't say, you've had enough this week. Wouldn't that be a bummer? Lord, I need some wisdom on this topic right now. He says, call me later. What do you mean, call me later? You've all used up up your wisdom. No, he loves to give it out. (sighs) Parents, do you love it when your kids come and ask you for advice? Am I the only one? (laughs) Not yet. I heard it doesn't happen yet. It, It will. It does happen. And when it happens, it's like, wow, they're growing. Because a mature person knows that they don't have all the answers. And so a mature believer as well is going to know that I don't have all the answers. I'm going to ask it of God, but I'm also, also, <laughs> I'm also going to ask it of other believers. Amen? That I, I, I'm maturing enough to know that I don't have it all together, I don't have it all figured out, and I'm going to ask the Lord first, number one, but then I'm going to ask others. Notice, without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
Ask and it will be given unto you. Isn't that what Jesus said? By the way, knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep seeking. It's an ongoing process. So, let him ask. Yeah, that's right. Verse 6. Let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. So when we ask of God, and we ask him not only for wisdom but for help, how are you asking him? Is it, well, I think he'll help me? Um, I think he can help me through this situation? Is it of doubting? Because a, a doubter is somebody that is that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind? Or is it somebody that says, I am God's kid, and I believe in his promises? God does answer prayer. He says yes, no, or the dreaded wait. But he does answer them. And he knows best for us. He knows that right now, maybe that thing that you are asking of him is not for your betterment. Maybe he needs you to be stretched more, broken more, like tonight with the mics. <laughs> Patience. I'm not a, peaceful per, a patient person. Anyone else patient? Yeah, that's the one thing I think we're all working on. And then you get to that, that person that's got patience. You're like, man. I covet you. Oh, wait, I just sinned, you know? (laughs) So, listen, don't doubt God's goodness and God's faithfulness in your life. How do I know that? Because he's proved it time and time again. Why is it that we forget so quickly the things that God does for us? Why is it that we forget so quickly. How many days did it take the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt to complain? How many? You'll get a mint. Three days for them to complain. Three. If I was God, I'd be like, that's it. There's no red uh, sea crossing. I'm blowing you all up here. We're just going to start. Mo, go. <laughs> we'll start a new group. Three days it took them. What did God do with those ten plagues in Egypt? They saw everything. Not one Jew should have complained the entire time. They just saw the most powerful being in the universe utterly destroy Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man on planet Earth. And yet three days out, they go, that's it. We're in the middle of the desert. God doesn't love us. He doesn't like us. There's no water. There's no moot. There's no moot. No food. (laughs) I was going to meet in there. (laughs) He doesn't love us. We just defeated Pharaoh back there. And then they see Pharaoh and the army's coming. Well, we're going to die here. God opens up the Red Sea. They cross through it. Pharaoh's army is destroyed by that. How many more days? A couple more days, they complain again. 
What has God done for us? What has he done for you? Remember what he has done for you. That's why we don't doubt. Lord, I don't doubt your faithfulness. I don't doubt your goodness in my life because what you have done in my life before. Stop saying, what have you done for me lately, God? That's a terrible 80s song. <laughs> but we think about that. It's like, well, God doesn't love us because he hasn't given me whatever this week or this month or this year. Notice, let's see what he says. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. We're blessed that we're breathing right now. That we have Bibles in our hand and we are not locked up in jail. We have so much to be thankful for in the United States of America. Let a man not... God, I deserve it. You deserve nothing. We deserve hell, fire. Separation from God. Damnation for eternity. That's what we deserve. But it's by God's grace. And if he has saved us upon the cross and Christ coming out of the tomb has given us eternal life, conquered death, what do we have to complain about? We have first world problems in this country. I, guys, I, I am very thankful that I've been allowed to travel around the world and have a great perspective. I was teaching in the Bible college in Nepal there, those kids didn't have two wooden nickels to rub together. They had nothing. But they were there studying the Bible. In rooms without air, <laughs> and, and I know what you're thinking, but it's Nepal. Isn't it cold? Nope. This portion of Nepal is down by India at the border. It's very hot. No air. They didn't have a shower. We put one in for them. We cooked food that they had never had before. But they were so excited just to be there away from their village to study the Bible with each other. And yet we complain in this nation what God has not done for us. And we forget. And I love James' boldness James would not be invited to many churches today. They would have heard the first message and they said, well, you, you're not welcome. That message is very offensive. Because he calls us out on our lack of faith and of wisdom and doubting. And he says, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. For he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways is a person that asks God in a doubting way. They ask of God, but really they don't in their mind think it's going to happen. Like I'm asking because I'm supposed to, but I really don't think he's going to do it. And he says, well, that's somebody that's double-minded. 
If we had no faith, we would never ask at all. If we had unbelief, we would have no doubting. But to be in the middle ground between faith and unbelief is to be double-minded. And James says, as a believer, can, can I sum up James? Knock it off. I tell you, the church needs that today. Knock it off. Stop fooling around. Grow up. Because other believers don't have anything close to what you have. Don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable. He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. He says, let him glory in that. That he got through the trial. Again, in context, what God is doing in his life. Hey, I got a little hoopamoni this week. Let's start posting some hoopamonies. Hey, yeah, this is what God did in, my, in our life. Can I encourage this? And this is no indictment at our church at all because we do get praise reports. But how many praise, more praise reports do we get than prayer reports on the prayer chain? That's all I'm saying. Great. We prayed for you as a church, but let us know what happened. Hey, this is what happened. This is how God brought comfort. This is how God did the work in our lives through that prayer of the entire church. Let us know. Let us glory in what God is doing. Let us say yay and amen to that. So be it. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing this work in this life. Why well, do I want to be open about that? Get over that. Stop messing around. Stop fooling around. Ask for help. That's what a mature believer does. He says, but the, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearances perish. And so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So the rich man always thinks that the wealth that he has will get him out of the situation he has currently found himself in. But that's not it. And, and look, I'm not saying that I'm glorying in this, but when, when the great white throne judgment is there, Nobody is writing a check to God. How much is it going to be to get me out of this? Riches fade. Notice, as quickly as the grass. <laughs> as quickly as the grass in a South Carolina summer. He says, blessed is the man kind of takes us back to Matthew 5, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So, oh, happy is the man, it would translate. Oh, happy is the woman who endures through what, you are, or what you're going through. Because when you go through what you're going through on the other side, you are not only allowed to give glory to God, but say to others, it can be done. Is that not what the writer of the Hebrews was telling us through Hebrews 12? The heroes of faith, 
that it can be done and this life of faith can be lived out. It can be done. And so, the man, the woman who endures temptation, for when they have been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to to those who love him. So, when he has passed the tape, had made it through, when he has been approved, completed, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised. I don't know what that really means. Uh, the, uh, as we go through Revelation, we'll see that a, a couple more times, these crowns, what it's going to be on our head. All I know is that what we've read so far in Revelation, it really doesn't matter what's on our head because what do we do with those crowns? We cast them down before the throne of God. Where did I leave up? Oh, I'm on 12. So blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God is doing a work inside of your life. He has a plan and he has a purpose. And James is going to tell us that that man, that woman who walks that path, who goes down this trail, can expect many refinements, many trials and tribulations. But when we go through them, we can become a blessing to other people. Let me end with this. How many times have you gone through something it was tough it was hard you prayed a lot you cried a lot <laughs> you yelled a lot you shook your fist at God in heaven but at the end of the day you got through it you made it through on the other side of the trial and the Lord said good job And then the next day, the next week, oh yeah, there's another one. But (laughs) somebody walks into your life that's going through the same thing. And if you had not walked through what you just went through, you would not be able to be a help and a blessing to them. At that moment, do you say, like I say, Lord, whatever I just went through, thank you, and I give you glory for that because now I get to help this believer walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that is the, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you are missing one of the best things that happened in the life of a believer. To be used by God in such a powerful way to, to help another human life walk this tightrope and on the other side you sit there and you go man lord i don't even know why i went through that and then the whatever the week later and the month later the year later the five years later somebody again walks into your life and you go ah i get it now thank you lord thank you that i did not blaspheme your name When Nathan the prophet came to David after the sin of Bathsheba, what did he say the biggest problem was? He said, yeah, David, you sinned against the Lord, and not to minimize that, amen. 
But he said the problem was that the nations now curse God because of what you did, David. And when we go through things and people see that we do not curse God, <laughs> like Job, Job didn't curse God. And when we get to the other side, they can read that chapter in our life and then we are able to say, let me hold your hand through this trial and walk through that. We've had a lot of people in the church lose loved ones lately. And if that has been you, you need to find the other people inside of the church that are going through the exact same thing. Do not walk that path alone. That's foolishness. Have common ground together with that person. Build each other up in the body of believers. That is why we need to be open and honest with each other. And not just say, how are you doing? You really want to know? <laughs> Read ahead, Lord willing. We will get through. Oh, James, is, there is no stopping. It is wide. James goes wide open, full throttle the entire time. He does not stop until he's done, and then he goes, amen. And you're like, okay, great. Let's get to Peter. Read ahead the rest of the chapter for next week. And Sunday, as we look at the Antichrist, Revelation 6. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your servant James as a powerful testimony and witness a doulos of Christ, praying for the Jewish nation, his Jewish brethren. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it enriches our lives and allows us to go through and walk the path that we are on. That we would be a blessing to others. That we would count it all joy when we walk through another trial, knowing that in the end, we would be a help to somebody else. So Lord, thank you that you allow these things in our life. It is for the body of Christ. It is for us. And that produces endurance. So thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. Thank you for what everyone is going through right now. Hard as it is, Tough as it is, extremely painful as it is, that you would bring the right people around them today to minister into their life. Let there be no lone gunmen in this body, that we would seek out help from each other. Thank you, Lord, that we can be a comfort and a joy. We pray for wisdom, Lord. Wisdom to use these trials in our lives for your glory and for your purpose. Thank you, Lord, for our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.